0: Um, I know we have some visitors with us today, if that's you, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We would love for you to fill out one of those Connect cards, love trying to follow up with people as soon as we can that come and visit us, but um, I know you're visiting, and I know we're getting ready to start the Christmas series, but um, we're hoping that you stick around through that and after the Christmas series. So January 2nd, we'll be back in the book of Luke again. Uh, We've been tracking through the whole book of Luke, we're going to say the whole book together, and we've purchased these Luke journals, I got it right, that's two weeks in a row, Um, Luke journals for you. You. And so, if you don't have one of these, please. There's some on the black tables as you came in, and I've got more. So if those run away, we can get some more out for you. So take one of these with you as we study through the Book of Luke. We'll be back in it, like I said, the beginning of January once again. All right, super exciting morning for me. I don't know about you, but man, Mike I got to eat a donut. I haven't had a donut in like a month now. Um, last two Sundays we've had them, I, I haven't got to eat them, and so I was, I was really excited this morning. I told the kids when I woke them up, "Hey, it's Donut Sunday, and I get a donut." Um, <laughs> Did I not, well, not, Corey? Did I not say that to you? You don't remember. Anyway, I, I did. I <laughs> promise. He, waking up teenage boy, he doesn't hear what you say. You, you get the picture. You know what I'm, what I'm talking about. Um, this is, as I said, it's our last week in Luke um, until we go back on for New Year's for the New Year's message on January 2nd. Can you believe I just said that word, yeah. New Year's? January 2nd will be here in one month. I know it's insane, but it's absolutely true. I can't believe that it's December already, and they are talking about some snow this week. Yeah, Woo-hoo! That's crowd participation we could do without. Um, <sighs> anyway, <laughs> those of you that like snow, <laughs> it's, it's pretty from a distance on mountains. That's beautiful. Gorgeous on the mountains. But anyway, next week, next week, we're going to bring, uh, begin our short three week Christmas series. It's called The Wonderful Words of Christmas. And what we're doing is uh, there were 18 of you that participated on our little survey that we sent out asking for some words that mean something to you for Christmas. And we're going to talk about some of those words, how they tie into Christmas, how they tie into the events of our lives, even today. I do genuinely love Christmas. I've got the first message done already. It is going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about it. Today, today we're going to be in Luke chapter five. So if you've got your Luke journal with you, grab that Luke chapter five. If you don't open on your phone, great. Go right ahead. There's also Bibles under the seats in front of you. Snag one of those if you need it. Luke chapter five, verse 12, I believe is where we will start. I might be wrong on the verse, but we'll get to that in a minute. This section we're going to read, Luke records three miracles for us. Now, I'll be honest, only two of them are considered miracles in the list of Jesus' miracles, but the third event that happens, I think, is just as miraculous as the first two miracles from the reading today. If you were with us at the beginning of this series, we took a brief look at the genealogy of Jesus, specifically how Mary's family tree was filled with a whole bunch of nobodies, people that have never, ever been heard of before. Unlike Jesus' genealogy in Matthew, which traces the lineage through the kingdoms and all the kings of Israel, Mary's are just common Jewish names, names not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. So Luke shares this lineage to prove that that Jesus absolutely came from the line of David. Absolutely, he did do that. but, But he also came through a line of completely everyday, normal, average, nobodies which is important because God sent his son for all of us, for every single person. And in the text today, we're going to begin to see now who Jesus came to. He he always seemed to come to those with the greatest of needs, even if they didn't know what that need might be. And there's something else you're going to see as we journey through these miracles of Jesus, not just this week, but then as we begin the new year as well. You're going to see that as Luke lists these miracles, you're just going to find Jesus going to people that no one else will go to, the people that everyone else avoids, the, those that society had completely cast aside. What's he do? Well, he goes to them and he restores those that have lost all hope. You see, that's who our Jesus is. Amen. And I believe that we have come to a day today where people are more and more and more finding themselves without any hope. They're at the very end of the rope. How did they get there? Well, you see, the world has tricked them into believing that they can have hope in the things of this world. They've turned to this world and all it has to offer, and they're all of a sudden finding themselves in a greater need. They've relied on the powers and the hope that existed in this world, and it's just disappointed them time and time again. This is even more true in the world in which we live. And you're going to find it to be so, if you're a younger person, as you get older, you're going to find this truth to be even more real. Here's what they'll do. They've invested. They've invested in an ideology. They've invested in a cause. And they thought that that cause would change the world. And by that purpose would give their life meaning But what they find as they invest more and more in that cause and search for meaning is that they're left realizing that uh, they've been lied to and they've been deceived and they've been taken advantage of. And this is their life goal. This is all they've ever set out to do. It's who they wanted to be. And now they're left with nothing because they weren't in pursuit of the truth, only what they thought or had been told. (laughs) was the truth pick your cause pick your agenda whatever it doesn't matter if that's what you're invested in solely it will disappoint you in the end we are surrounded by people who are in desperate situations and this this is who Jesus came for in his time on this earth and oh by the way it's who he's sending us to now (laughs) Jesus came to seek and save the lost when he was here and guess what He has us here to continue his mission of seeking and saving the lost. Problem is some of them don't know that they're lost. So as we look at the lives of the individuals, Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Remember, these are real people. Don't ever forget that. These are not just stories on a page that have been written. These are real lives, real people, real situations. And if you can try to imagine living their life, trying to imagine being in their situation, it's hard. Yes, I know. Sometimes it's realistic. Sometimes it's not. I understand that. But put yourself in their shoes the best you can. The first person we're going to study is said to have had leprosy. Now, I'll be completely upfront in the Bible, that word "leprosy" is used a lot to describe a whole bunch of different skin conditions that existed during biblical times. For our sake, I want you to go ahead and consider the one that you're thinking of, if you know what leprosy is, the flesh-rotting, debilitating version of that disease. If you lived with that disease in the Roman Empire, what would your life have been like? Can you imagine the isolation? Can you imagine the removal of family and friends? Oh, wait, maybe after the last two years you can, can't you? That hurts, doesn't it? Unable to work, unable to provide for yourself, banished to the outskirts of your town, forced, this might be the worst part of it, forced to make your presence known and your disease known, so that when others came around, they could intentionally avoid coming near you. Imagine that. Imagine living your life, having to make your presence known so people could intentionally avoid you. Now, I'm a pastor. People intentionally avoid me all the time. (laughs) It's true. I got nothing, but for some reason, they think that I'm going to say something or do something now. How painful would that have been? You've got this physical ailment, this incredible pain of this disease that you're dealing with, but then you compound that with the mental anguish of the separation and the removal and the outcast that you've been placed as. Oh my goodness. Are you making that personal? Can you imagine what that would have been like, forced to live that kind of life? Luke chapter 5, verse 12 is where we begin. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground, and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In the midst of this man's pain, in the midst of this man's brokenness, did you hear his faith, his tremendous faith? Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He didn't ask Jesus, hey, can you? Heal me? Hey, Jesus, will you heal me? Hey, Jesus, is it possible? Are you able to heal me? No, there's no question here other than are you willing? I know you can do it. Just are you willing? Do we have that kind of faith? Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. He said, oh, I'm willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. You didn't hear that. He did what? Jesus did what? Jesus just touched a man with leprosy. In case you didn't know during that time and era, you don't touch people with leprosy. You send them to the outside of the city, you send them to the other side of the road, you run around them, you don't go anywhere near them for fear you might get the disease. Now, we know today that that's not how you get leprosy, by touching someone. Go figure, it's a respiratory disease. <laughs> Who knew, right? But everything's a respiratory disease. But anyway, you get the picture. <laughs> Just stating the obvious, people. Just stating the obvious. Jesus knew the disease. He knew he could touch him. So as those people, his disciples, those people that had gathered around him watched them touch him, can you imagine the fear, the horror on their face as their master is reaching out to touch this guy? Ah, immediately he's healed. Two words, be clean, the disease left him. From what I've read about the miracles of Jesus, when the disease, the healing was over, it was gone. There was no trace. There were no marks. That disease never existed on that man's body before. That part of his life was now in the past. That is a great picture of what redemption looks like. Jesus just redeemed that man's life in a physical sense. He gave it value and purpose and meaning once again. He restores the value that the world and this disease had taken away from him. But then he took it a step further and he added that gift, that gift of a new life to live. This man now gets to live a completely new, completely restored life. Can you imagine? Now, some of you can, because you've been in the pits of despair. You've been in prison. You've been under the influence. You've had situations in your life that God has brought you out of and redeemed your life and restored you. So yes, you can imagine, and it was real for you. Would you share that story with us? We're going to keep asking because just like his story changes the world today, still your story could change this world. And it could save somebody's life forever. But then Jesus says something unique. He's not done with him. He normally doesn't ask the people that are healed to do much of anything except not tell anybody. But this case is a little different. He asks him very specifically. Verse 14, he ordered him, Luke's words, he ordered him, don't tell anyone. We talked about that a little last week, but go, go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Verse 15, yet the news about him spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. All right. So Jesus heals this guy. And he kind of says, hey, man, um, here's the thing. I know you're kind of excited about this. I get it. I understand. But if you can just keep this on the DL just for a minute, just, just don't go telling everybody. If you're covered with leprosy and you've been hiding from everyone and now they see you, you don't really have to say much. Right? Keep that a little quiet as Jesus continues to protect his identity, protect his purpose just a little longer. But then he says, but there's something I do need you to do. I need you to go to the temple. I need you to go to the priest. I need you to go and do all that the laws of Moses requires of you to be declared clean. Now, if you're curious, you can find those procedures. They're spelled out for you. Leviticus chapter 14. Put a mark there. Read it later. Leviticus chapter 14. I'm not going to read to you Leviticus chapter 14 this morning, but that's the process that Jesus asked this man to go through. It could take up to eight days. To go through this process. It involves sacrifices. It involves washings. It involves shavings. It involves putting blood on your earlobes. I'm telling you, it's an interesting process, but it is a process. Why on earth would Jesus tell this man who he's just healed, hey, I need you to do something for me. I need you to go to the temple and do what the law of Moses requires of you. Well, here's the thing. By doing so, what's this man doing? He's going And he's giving all of the credit, all of the glory, all of the honor for this miraculous healing to his Lord and his God. And he's doing so in front of the priests. And he's doing so in front of all the people that would come to the temple and see this man and like, what is he? Well, they know what he's doing because they know what rituals are being performed. So he's obviously, it's a cleansing thing. What was he cleansed from? Well, he's cleansed. Who cleansed him? Ah. You see Jesus' purpose here, see his message is spreading through the holiest of ways. What a testimony to God's power and his mercy on this man's life, right? Then Luke throws in, just as he does sometimes, that one little reminder oh, yeah, and then Jesus, who often does this, he frequently pursues time alone with his heavenly Father. What a great example to us today. I want to challenge you when you read those words in scripture, then Jesus withdrew to be alone with his father. When Jesus often withdrew, when I read these words, I want to challenge you to do the same thing. What is it God's telling you to withdraw from? If Jesus Christ had to take a step away to go spend time alone with his father, do you think you and I do? You think maybe it's important for us? Yeah. So what is it? He had to step away from everything. What is it that you and I have to back away to withdraw from, to be alone with our God? It's a curious question. Make it personal. So then Luke, new story, verse 17. That was short, five verses. Luke, new story, verse 17. One day, it says, Jesus was teaching. We don't know if it was the next day, the next week, the next month. We don't know. One day, Jesus was teaching, and he tells us about the crowd that has gathered. Pharisees, teachers of the law were sitting there. They, the crowd had come from every village in Galilee, so all around the lake, and they've come up from Judea, up from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord with, with Jesus to heal the sick. And some men came, verse 18, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. I just realized we didn't show the video clip, David. We'll pause and do that. We can do that. Um, well, now it's too late. We already skipped it. That's so sad. Oh, yeah, uh, my bad. Oh, well. Um, that's, it was such a good clip too, wasn't it, sweetie? Yeah. Oh, well. Life goes on. I'm sorry about that. Ah, dang it. It happens. Anyway, so men came in carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. We're going to pause right there. All right, so you're in this city you see this large crowd gathered outside the house. People just packed around, sitting in the windows, packed in the house, packed around the house so they could hear Jesus says everyone was there. Teachers, leaders, they've been drawn in. People not just from the little small communities around the lake, but people been drawn out of Judea and Jerusalem. they all gathered to hear Jesus' teachings And see what miracle he might perform next. Now, this is a unique healing story. It's very different from a lot of the other ones for lots of reasons. But maybe the main one, the greatest reason is because of the man that's healed. It doesn't really seem like that guy has anything to do with it. Like he has any input in the situation. He's just kind of there. The text reads that his friends brought him. Question, did he ask? Hey guys, can you take me to see this Jesus? How far away where are they from? Who had heard about, about this Jesus and, and thought, thought that maybe they, they just, just might, be, a, that this Jesus Jesus might be able to help, help their friend? Which one of them developed the faith after hearing Jesus or, or seeing a miracle? They suddenly developed the faith and the hope that this mysterious man might just be able to intervene on behalf of their friend. Now, I've asked you, I haven't purposely asked you to enter this scene yet. There's a reason, because I wanted to give you some options, some choices here. The first one that was really obvious, you had to be the leper. There really wasn't anyone else there. So who do you want to be? Here's your choices. Option A, do you want to be the man on the mat? The man paralyzed for however long he has been, hoping for the impossible. Have you been in that situation in your life? Have you ever been to a place where you're just hoping and praying for the impossible to happen? Are you this man's friend? Are you one of the ones that's at the side of his mat, has developed this belief that this Jesus could help him, and you've brought this man from wherever, only to get there and find out that you can't get in to see Jesus? Are you one of the ones carrying the mat? Are you an innocent bystander just watching things unfold? Now, I know half the room just said, oh, yeah, that's me. I'm just in the background watching. So I'm just going to tell you right now, don't be them. I'm going to caution you against that. I think you really need to have some skin in the game here. You got to be part of the scene, not just watching from a distance. You need to imagine being a part of what's going on, a deeper tie to the situation. Maybe you're one of the religious leaders. You're a skeptic. You're there looking like, "Mm, I don't know about this guy. I've heard things. I'm not sure. Don't think I like him. Not sure what he's up to. I'm just here to investigate to try to figure this out. Maybe maybe I'm just here to try to point out all his flaws and figure out that he is wrong and he's a liar. Okay. That's fine. Got your character picked out. Are you the man on the mat? Are you one of his friends? Are you one of the religious leaders? Any one of those, it doesn't matter. All of you will be affected here in moments. They arrive with their friend to this house. You can see them coming down the street from a distance. They see this huge crowd gathered, big man on a mat going, ah, there's no way. We can't get through that. We can't get in there. No one's going to let us in. If you're one of the ones carrying the mat, Are you angry? Are you mad that you went to all this effort? Are you frustrated? Like you went to um, uh, a Texas roadhouse and you had to get a pager and it's going to be an hour and a half. I'm just saying that's real, right? Okay. So are you saddened? Are you saddened for your friend? Because this is it. Like there is no other hope that this man has. When they couldn't find a way to do this, the scriptures continue, because of the crowd, it says, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Now they did what? Seems a bit odd. First, who has that kind of idea, right? You carry up, they're coming up the street, you see the big crowd, you're like, you lay him down, you're like, all right, guys, huddle up. We got to have a plan. We can't get in. What can we do? What can we? I got an idea. Let's climb up on the roof. We'll climb up on the roof. We'll lower him down. We'll put him right there. Who has that idea? Who thinks like that? Okay, desperate people. Desperate people think like that. Desperate people who believe the only possible help for their friend lies on the floor in front of that man who's teaching who they can't get in to see just yet. I ask you, what links would you go to what links would you go to to get the help that someone you loved needed? Where would you take them? How would you get them there? What would you pay to get them the help that they needed? Imagine that for a moment. Make it personal. I'm sure those friends were more than willing to do a little patchwork on a roof if they could get their friend in to see this Jesus. Verse 20 it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Friend, your sins are forgiven. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? When you read the accounts and you read the various commentaries and all those things, it seems as if Jesus is not referring to the faith of the paralyzed man. No, he's looking up at the hole in the roof, and he's talking to them. And you ask, okay, it's the faith of the friends that he sees. Well, what did he exactly see? Now, I've been, I'm, I've been going through this all week. I wrote this several weeks ago, and I'm telling you, every single day, there's been part of me that's wanted to delete this next paragraph, just completely get rid of it. And every single day that I thought, you know, maybe this, this is kind of personal, maybe this is too much, it's too, every single time I've said that, God said, no, leave it. So I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Sorry, not sorry, those Reese's commercials, you get it, right? What did Jesus see in those friends? You see, a lot of believers, Christians, they claim to have faith. Oh, but their faith is a personal, it's a deeply held personal conviction. It's just between me and my God. And I don't really need other people to see my faith on display. I have a personal faith. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, good luck looking for an example like that in the Bible. Good luck finding that person that exists in the scriptures. And here's the really personal part. I'm going to be really honest. I'm really glad you were not a friend of that man on the mat. Because if you were, he'd still be lying on the mat. Because you weren't willing to put yourself out there. You see, Jesus saw the faith and action of those people creating a hole in the roof and lowering their friend down in the presence of everyone. Why did they do it? Because they believed, they had faith that Jesus could heal him. And for the record, they didn't care what anyone else thought of what they were doing. They didn't even care about the owner of the house and what he thought about them putting a hole in his roof because they thought their friend could be healed. And that is what Jesus saw, and that is why Jesus acted. Now, Jesus' response, well, now, that probably wasn't exactly what everybody was thinking would happen. Jesus, he, maybe, maybe they had seen one of other Jesus' other miracles, where Jesus just speaks the word like with the leper, and immediately the demons leave, the person is healed, it just happens like that. But that's not what he did this time. This is a different kind of miracle. Instead, Jesus actually gives the man so much more than what he was seeking as he declares that his sins are forgiven. And when he said that, everyone in the room was left with questions. Let's pick our three contestants. Let's start with the friends. If you're one of the friends, you've carried the man, you've opened the hole, you've lowered the man down. You're like, yes, he's going to get to walk. Jesus speaks and you're like, huh? <laughs> ah, okay, his sins are forgiven. All right, thank you, I guess. Um, how's he going to walk, Jesus? Like, we brought him here so he could walk home with us. We don't really want to carry him back. So how does this work exactly? How about the man on the mat? We don't know if he even wanted to be there for sure, right? We, we don't have any idea why he's there other than his friends brought him. He's paralyzed. He's on the mat. Jesus looks at him and says, hey, your sins are forgiven. He's like, uh, okay. Um, I'm sure I'm a sinner. Yeah, we're all sinners. All right, I get that. Uh, but, you know, I... I maybe I've never been able to walk. That'd be kind of neat too, Jesus. How about maybe I could walk? That'd be all right. Thoughts going through his mind. Imagine that's what he tells you. As is often the case, look at it this way with you and I, we have our greatest perceived needs in life, right? We even take those greatest perceived to the throne of God through prayer. and We offer them up to Jesus. And Jesus looks at those needs and he says, you know, I, I agree. I understand you want that. I know the desires of your heart, But Jesus looks at us in the same way and goes, yeah, I know you want that, but uh, there's something else you really need. So how about I give you that instead? You see, Jesus knew that man's greatest need was to be forgiven, to be restored to his God for all of eternity, to receive the grace and the mercy only offered by the man standing in front of him on that very day. To walk, or not to walk, That really didn't matter if the path that you walked down was an eternity apart from God. So in that moment, Jesus gave the man the only thing that he ever would actually need. But there were other people. There was a third group there that didn't really like what Jesus was offering in that moment. Verse 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy Who can forgive sins but God alone? Wait wait a minute. Um, Did you hear what he just said? Because if if he said that, then then he's claiming to be God, right? They're, They're having this conversation. And that seems to be a bit of a problem for those religious leaders. If Jesus just said that he could forgive the man's sin, then Jesus would, of course, be claiming to be God. And if he's claiming to be God, then he alone can forgive sins. And if that's the case... That now those religious leaders and everyone listening are left with two. Only two options when it comes to this Jesus. Either option one, he is God. That's not going to get the religious leaders vote. Not yet. Or he's lying. And that's blasphemy. I love Jesus's response. First, they're not saying these things out loud. They're thinking them in their hearts, in their minds, maybe whispering. But Jesus knows he perceives what they're saying. Verse 22, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? And I think that's what happened next. Because everybody's listening. Jesus speaks. When Jesus speaks, it's silent. And he asks them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? And he just pauses. The average common everyday person isn't thinking these things in their hearts. They're sitting there like, Who's thinking what in their heart? What? Huh? Who? The religious leaders are sitting in the back going, How does he know what we're thinking? And he just leaves them in that for a moment. I imagine it was a long moment. I don't think he immediately went on with the next words. So as they're pondering, uh, Is he talking to us? I think he's talking to us. Uh oh. Then he says, Which is easier? You tell me, guys, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? For us, that might not seem like much of an option because both are pretty uh, difficult things to do. But let me explain. Anyone, anyone can tell a man his sins are forgiven. See, there's nothing magical that happens on the outside when that happens. We can't witness or see that visually take place. That's an internal change. That's a change in identity. Now, I didn't say it was easy to forgive sins. No, 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 not at all. That took the death of my Savior to forgive my sins, and that is a debt that I could never, ever, ever pay. But it's an easy thing to just say, as compared with telling a paralyzed man, who everyone knows is paralyzed, to get up and walk. You see, if you say that, then something's got to give. Something's got to happen, or else you very obviously are a fraud in front of everyone. So Jesus asks them that question, and then he follows after. Again, I don't think these things happen immediately. I think Jesus asks that question and then hits the pause button. And I can only imagine the silence in the room to start with. And then everybody begins chattering a little bit. You hear the whispers. Ah, which is he? I don't know. What's he talking about? Ah. And you can hear the religious leaders in the background. Well, yeah. Verse 24, but I want you to know that the Son of Man... Jesus' common reference to himself, the son of man, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, uh, get up. Just just go ahead, get up, take your mat and go ahead home. And it says immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed. There's that word Luke loves so very much. Everyone was amazed at what had just happened. And gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. So Jesus takes the scope of the room after that dramatic pause. Says, okay, everybody, listen up. Listen up real good here. Open your eyes real big because you're about to see something pretty cool. Um, This man's sins are forgiven. And just so you know it, he's going to get up and come tell y'all that his sins are forgiven. Immediately the man gets up. He doesn't stumble around. His friends don't climb down off the roof to help him get up and walk out the door. No, no, no. He gets up and immediately heads out the door praising God. You understand this man got up and was singing on his way out the door? Absolutely, he was singing praises to his God. He was crying out to his God. I believe he was skipping. I really do because you can't just skip. You have to learn to skip and so this man would have already known how to skip and you cannot frown while skipping. Try me. I dare you on your way out. You cannot do it. Why? Why? Because that's our Jesus. And he has not changed. Not at all. And he can do the same for you today. All right, I got to wrap things up before we get to the Christmas series. So do you have time for one more? You could say no, but (laughs) you have time for one more. And really, are you going to tell scripture? No, I don't want to hear about more Bible things. Stop, pastor. Okay, one more great example, one last great example, the one that isn't truly a miracle, but I believe is definitely a miracle because you change a person's life. A great example of God's love for an outcast, God's love for a traitor, God's love for a sellout, someone who was hated by likely everyone, even his own family, why? Because of the choices that he'd made in life. It's too good not to share. And oh, by the way, it is very, very, very short. So I'll read it straight through verse 27. After these, this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Some of you might know him as Matthew, sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Verse 29, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You see, this man, Levi, was on the edge, the outskirts of society. Now, he probably had some friends in the business, if you will, but not close ones. And he had some wealth, absolutely. It came with his position. But his position was a lonely one. That of a Jew who turned his back on his fellow Jews to help the Romans Jesus, it appears, initiated this contact with Levi or Matthew. Jesus sought him out. There is nothing recorded of a conversation between the two. We don't know. All we know is Jesus' request, follow me. Now, surely Matthew had been observing Jesus. What I really like to think is this is in the same town that that paralytic walked And I really think that maybe Matthew was one of the ones sitting on the outside of that house that day watching and seeing what had happened. And now Jesus looked at him in that booth and said, come on, let's go. A tax collector. Jesus sought out yet another untouchable, an evil person, a social outcast. And this time he said, follow me. I want you to notice this. Have you ever noticed that Jesus' call upon your life is not ever a question? He never asks, will you, could you, might you be able to? No, 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 no. It's not a question to be answered, but a command to be followed. I kind of like the way that sounds. Jesus' call on your life is not a question to be answered, yes or no. It's a command to be followed, you just do it. Jesus said, follow me. Is there a lesson in that for you? Because I know there is for me. It says, so Matthew, he, he leaves his tax booth. He goes home and he has a big party for all his tax collectors and friends to share with them about Jesus. Think about it. Matthew just made this radical change. He leaves his profession. He leaves his money behind to follow Jesus. He throws this party for Jesus and all the sinners show up. Why would the sinners show up? Two reasons. One, party. Is that enough explanation? Yes, they would go, right? Absolutely. Two, they were searching. They were sick. They knew it. They needed a doctor. And they wondered what Matthew had discovered that they'd never heard of before. It's funny. It's funny how Jesus uses that example again, that illustration again. The first time he said he didn't come for the righteous, but for the sinners. Now he rewards it ever so slightly. I came for the sick instead of the healthy. The same meaning for both. Who's righteous? No one. Who's healthy, especially in today's world? No one, right? These are three powerful examples of God's healing, of God's transformational power in the lives of three people who meant absolutely nothing to the world. Outcasts in every way, but dearly loved individuals made in the image of their creator, as is every single person on this planet today. So who's the modern day Leper? Who's the modern day untouchable that you avoid at all costs? Who is the one that's been so deceived by the world that they seem to be beyond hope? Who is that in your mind? Maybe it's a group, maybe it's a person, a specific person that comes to your mind. I just have a question. Can Jesus cure them? Can Jesus heal them today? Who's the paralytic? It could be a physical injury or disease or birth defect, maybe like this man had, but more likely it's something else. Maybe it's a crippling fear, a paralyzing fear. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's an addiction. It's grabbed a hold of their life. Can Jesus still heal that? Is he still willing? Yes. But wait a minute, in the scene that we encountered, the sick person didn't come. They couldn't. They were on a mat. What had to happen? The friends. Huh. The friends brought them to Jesus. Is there someone you know that you need to bring to Jesus? Someone that cannot bring themselves or maybe will not bring themselves. You see, once again, our Jesus has not changed. Here's the one little difference. He probably won't make you climb on the roof and cut a hole. Let's. He might. <laughs> I wouldn't suggest it, but he might. (laughs) Let's make it personal. Have you personally turned your back on God? Have you personally turned your back on family, on friends like Matthew? Have you pursued a lifestyle trying to meet a need or what you thought was your need or what Satan has lied to get you to believe are your needs or your feelings instead of what you know is right in the eyes of God? Maybe that decision, that choice has already cost you a lot in your life. Well, see, what you've done is is you've put yourself in this little box and you've locked yourself in now because of choices you've made in the past. And now Jesus comes up to your little tax booth and he looks at you and he says, Hey, follow me. All you got to do is get out. I'm right here to receive you. Will you do that this morning? Father God, as we close this part and and go back to worship and we we celebrate and give thanks for the incredible gift that you gave us through the sacrifice of your son, Father God, as we consider these three individuals and the sacrifices that were made in their lives, Father, the difficulties that they had and, and suffering, that they had, from being paralyzed to having a disease to, to making a choice to, to for whatever reason that Levi did that, whether it was for money or for fame or he, he just didn't like his family or whatever. We don't know what caused him to make that decision. But Satan led him astray, and you went directly to each one of them. You met them right where they were, and you touched them physically in one case, spiritually in the next as you forgave sins. And with a challenge, and the third is you commanded Levi to follow you. Leave your past. Leave your mistakes behind. That's where they belong. I can forgive those mistakes and come follow me. Father, everybody in the room can fit into one of those categories. And we just pray that today your spirit moves in their lives and allows them to respond as they should. Father, whether it's to come and just ask for prayer. They're in a situation, and you're their only way out. Father, maybe there's a friend that they immediately brought to mind this morning that they know they need to bring to Jesus. Father, let us join them in praying that that moment happens sooner rather than later. This is the perfect season. This is the perfect season to share with them the coming of your son. Jesus came for us. We don't have far to go to him. He's right here. Father, if there's people in the room that have just been longing for a home, just looking for a place to belong, then Father, let this be the place you've called them. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word.